uh, on a phone or a, yep, see, I see it on the iPhones. And I see it. Some of you have the old-fashioned Bibles. I have an old-fashioned Bible. Um, uh, iPads and stuff like that. And if you don't have one, we have Bibles under the under the chairs. And um, so feel free to pull one of those up and you can flip to page 992. Somebody who's been waiting for me to share that, I'm sure. Page, is it 992 in yours too? Amazing. He's got a different edition and it's the same page number. Page 992 in the Pew Bibles. Um, we have been we have been going through this series um, in the first letter to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. Um, we just call it First Timothy, and it seems like a good title for the letter. Um, and the title of the series that we've been going through is called uh, The Gospel in the Household of God. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about the household. What is the household? And it really is a family. So in that time that this word oikomenos, or we even shorten it down to oikos, is home or house or family. Um, this, is, this is the family of God. We've been talking about the family today, haven't we? Been hearing that over and over. Um, we have, we've, we, we saw that, um, or, or, or Stephen mentioned it as he was um, opening us up in the singing. And uh, just, uh, just let me take a quick aside and say thank you, Stephen, for coming down. Really appreciate it. And we, we appreciate your gifts and your talent. Um, he's, he's from my alma mater, Central, and he's graduating from the uh, music school there, too. And so, I, you know, I feel a kinship with him because it wasn't that long ago that I was graduating from Central with a music degree, too. And, and so I appreciate your service and look forward to what God has in store for your life. Um, but we've been talking about the household of God. Uh, we've been seeing that this is a letter that Paul wrote to his young uh, apprentice or assistant in the ministry, um, Timothy. He wrote it specifically to Timothy. But he intended it not just for, uh, to be a private letter that Timothy reads and, and ponders himself personally, but it was meant to be shared with the whole church, the whole congregation. So it's written to Timothy, and then it's shared with everybody. And why does he want them to, uh, to know this? He said it in um, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 6, 15. He said, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay in coming to you, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So right there in that, those two verses, we have right behavior. He wants, to know how, he wants us to know how we're supposed to behave in the church, how we're supposed to interact with each other. What does it mean to be the family of God? And he also points out belief in those verses. The, the church, the household of God, is the church of the living God. It's a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what we believe is very important. So what we believe is important, and how we behave is important. So now Paul's getting to this, to this passage um, here, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he's he gets into specific instructions on how to deal with family relationships. How to deal with family relationships. So, 
what we uh, so what we're going to learn today, um, you probably didn't know this when you got up, but you're going to learn how to be a gospel family. Well, we'll at least see what what Paul has to say about being a gospel family from this passage, and I'm sure there's more to it. There is more all over Scripture of how to be a gospel family, but we're going to see um, from here what Paul wants us to understand. So, um, as you follow along, let me read this passage. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled, If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you will speak to us, that you will reveal to us yourself in this message, you'll reveal to us truth, you'll reveal to us how we ought to behave, and you'll reveal to us, God, that by the Holy Spirit, we can live as a gospel family. We can be obedient to this word. In Christ, we are your family, and God, I just pray that um, this time will edify us, build us up the way you would like us to. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want you guys to um, see a, a few things. And you should have, besides your Bible, the second piece would be that the handout that you received this morning. If you want to flip to the very back sheet, you can take some notes there and kind of follow along. And I'll give you some of the blanks as we go through the message. But the first thing that that I, Paul wants Timothy to know, Paul wants that church to know, Paul wants us to know through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that we are to treat each other like family. We're to treat each other like family. That's who we are. We are uh, the church. We are the household of God. We are a family. And in Christ, in Christ through the gospel, we are one family. One family. I just There are a few passages I'm going to just kind of flip around. And if you want to take notes, of some of these, uh, I encourage you to do. But in Ephesians 
chapter 2, another uh, letter by Paul, Paul says this, so, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. So you, we're no longer disparate, different families or factions. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the family of God. That in Christ, through what he has done, he has brought all these different families, different pieces, and he's brought us all together. So we're no longer one or, or, or several individual families, but we are one family in Christ. He also goes on later in the same letter in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 15, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We have one Father through Christ, the Father God, is our one Father. And so we are one in Him. We are one family together. In chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, he says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a lot of alls and that's a lot of ones. You know, we are one. Specifically, we are one family. In Christ, we are one family. We're also, in Christ, we're, we're brothers. We're brothers. In other words, well, we could say brothers and sisters, right? We're family. We're siblings. We're siblings in the family of God. So that's how we should treat each other. That's how we should react or interact with one another. Uh, Paul said this also in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses uh, 29, that we are, let me get this right, for those whom he foreknew, I love this passage, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be, Jesus might be, the firstborn among many brothers. God the Father, God the Son, then there's God the Spirit, but God the Son, Jesus, has or is the firstborn among many brothers, so that he can bring us all in, and we can be siblings together with Christ and have one heavenly Father. We're brothers. We ought to treat each other that way. And in Christ, um, well, I've already said this before, but let me illustrate it here. The fact that we have one Father, in Christ we have one Father. Um, Matthew uh, 23, verse 9. Look what he says there. Look what Jesus says. He says, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one Father who is in heaven. You have one Father who is in heaven. So we don't, we don't have a practice of calling each other or certain individuals in, in our churches and in, in the Baptist tradition, we don't call them Father because we have one Father. We have one Heavenly Father. And He is one. Um, back, back, to, um, back to our letter, that we're looking at today in First Timothy, um, we see that that this idea of God being our Father is mentioned over and over again in the in the very the very first verses of the of the greeting, Paul's greeting. He says, "Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord." So God is our Father here, and we see that um, all throughout this this uh, this letter, and we see it all throughout the New Testament. So. How should we then, 
uh, act towards one another. Look what, look what Paul says. Do not rebuke an older man. Do not rebuke an older man. This is an interesting word because um, the idea of rebuke, hap- it occurs um, throughout the New Testament. But only one time in the New Testament does this, does this particular word appear. So it makes it kind of hard to go, well, when we study the languages and we study the words, like, okay, what does this actually mean? So we have to go to some outside sources and figure out what, how was this word used in that culture. And the, and the idea of this word is, do not rebuke harshly. Some of, some of the English translations even add those extra phrases. Um, it is the idea of, of some kind of a, um, a disrespectful, harsh, um, angry maybe, or disrespectful, did I say disrespectful already? <laughs> Rebuke. That's the idea there. Don't go to an older man in the church and go, man, you are such an old geezer. You don't know what you're talking about. You must, you must be getting old timer's disease already. Yeah. You, are you senile yet? Because it sure seems like it if you're going to act and behave like that. Well, that wouldn't be a good way to rebuke an older man, would it? Um, that wouldn't be a good way to talk to your father. I wouldn't talk to my father like that. Um, maybe some of our fathers deserve it. But we have a heavenly father who demonstrates or models to us how we should respect a father, a holy father. But the idea there, though, is not to be harsh with the people, but to encourage him. Encourage an older man. Encourage, and the same word, the same encourage, command, goes with the younger men and the older women and the younger women. So the idea there is that we encourage these people. We encourage others in the church as if they were family. The, uh, I, I love the, the word encourage because we read, we see encourage, and we think it. We think of it as very positive, don't we? Encourage. That's a good positive word. I like encourage. Um, the the word a- appears in several other places in the New Testament, and sometimes it's it's urge, sometimes it's exhort. Um, in fact, back in First Timothy one verse three, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. It's not just a pat on the back, hey, it's going to be okay. Let me just encourage you. Sometimes that's what we need, just to come up alongside somebody and say, hey, you know what? I'm with you, all right? We'll get through this. That's encouraging, right? But the, the word here is more than just, you know, a few comforting or positive words. It's actually, you know, let me encourage you not to sin like that anymore. That's what, you, that's what he's trying to, trying to say. Let me urge you to, to get, uh, get your life right. Let me urge you to um, stop doing what you're doing. Let me urge you to, to, to get in line with God and his ways and his will. Let me exhort you in that. So we have a responsibility as family to speak truth to one another, no matter what. But, what, but how we do that is, all, is, is, is the matter, right? How we do that um, tell, it shows us whether or not the gospel has created us uh, one family. 
Whether the gospel's really working in and through us so that we're treating each other like family. Galatians 6.1 says this, and you have it up there. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There's a, there's a spirit by which we help to, to restore people. There's a spirit by which we confront sin in, in each other's lives. And when we are in Christ, we are one family. We have a, a familial way of doing that. To encourage and exhort and to gently restore each other. There are times when it's appropriate to, uh, maybe like a father is disciplining his son. Uh, there are times when, you know, it, you need something a little more serious than, oh, can we talk about that? Can we talk about your behavior? You know, sometimes we need to be, um, well, gosh, the, the Proverbs help us out. Spare the rod, spoil the child. So however you want to translate into that, our, into, that into our culture, um, it means, look, there are times when discipline is not going to feel good. Okay? There are times when maybe we as, as fellow men, we need to go ahead and kick each other in the, the backside to get each other to do what's right. But, but we're brothers. We love each other. And we want to try to do that with gentleness. And our goal is to restore. Treat each other like family. That's what Paul wants us to do. But he also wants us to do this. To meet real needs. To meet real needs. If we are the, a gospel family, as not just individual unit, but as a whole, as the River Church, if we're a gospel family, we need to meet real needs. Um, he goes right into this section on widows, and, and he says to honor widows who are truly widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. This idea is that, is that there were women in that time who, although their husbands had died, they died with, with means. They maybe had received a, 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 a lot of wealth from from the, the husband. The husband had left them with a lot of property, um, servants. All of their needs would be met for the rest of their life. And there were some widows, that we'll get to that a little bit later, but there were some widows who, who, um, who they didn't need any help. They didn't need any assistance. But yet, there were those women who were truly widows. And look what he says with the, about them, um, down to uh, verse 5. She who is truly a widow uh, left all alone. She doesn't have anyone to look out, out for her. Uh, maybe her children are, are gone. Maybe, um, maybe she's um, of elderly age. Maybe she had one son and maybe he died off in one of the wars. Or a daughter who got married off and lives in some other part of the, of the, uh, of the empire. Um, but she's left all alone. She doesn't have anyone to look out for her. That, but she sets her hope on God. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She goes, well, I don't have anybody, but I have God. I'm going to hope in God. And um, Paul's saying, but you also have the church. You have the church. And the church is going to be there to support you because you're truly a widow. Look what else he says about um, the widow, um, verse, verses 9 through 10. Um, this Widow who's a true widow, who really has needs, 
Um, look, look what, she, look, look what he says to, to about her. Um, let her be enrolled. I'll get to that in a little bit. If she is not less than sixty years of age, so if she's sixty or older, okay, let's get her on the rolls so that she can receive the help and the assistance that she needs. And and has she been a woman of character? Has she been? Was she faithful to her husband through her life? Did she have a, a reputation for good works? Was she faithful in raising her children if she still or if she had them? Um, has she shown hospitality? Has she been a, a vital member of the family? You know, these are just all examples of, hey, here's a woman who's been part of the family. So why wouldn't we take care of her needs? So look for that. Look for that. Not for somebody maybe to come in from the outside and say, well, hey, um, I'm looking for a handout too. He's talking, about, he's talking about women who have been in the family. They're part of the family of God. They've been there for years. They've served and they've sacrificed. They've cared for others. The, the last phrase he uses in verse 10, and has devoted herself to every good work. All of these good works that are, that are mentioned there, she was devoted to them. She attended to them. She was faithful in them. This is a great example. Uh, this right here is a great example, not just to think about, well, um, am I in that widow category? Am I like that? But it's, it's a great example for, uh, for the young women in the church. And for the women who are growing up in the church, is that what I'm going to be known by? Am I going to have a reputation for good work? Am I going to be faithful to show hospitality, to care for the afflicted, to wash the feet of the saints and meet their needs? The gospel, see, causes us to look at others with compassion. We look at others with compassion. We're one family. And we see a widow like this and we go, Let's look with her with compassion. But the example of Jesus, Mark 6.34, he says, he looked out at the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have anyone to help them. They didn't have anyone to guide them. And that's, that's, that's kind of how Paul is saying, I want you to look at these women in the church who don't have anyone to help them. And I want you to consider how you can meet their needs. In fact, the word honor in verse 3, the word honor has a connotation, even though it's not explicit in most of our translations, but it had a connotation and it was used all the time in Greek literature to indicate financial help, to indicate financial remuneration. That if we're going to really honor these widows, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, essentially. We're not just going to say, well, Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll pray for you. And um, but no, we're going to actually say, well, let's see. How can I, you know, where's my pocketbook? How can I help you? How can I support you? How can I make sure that your needs are met? Uh, the gospel causes us also um, to organize our efforts to meet needs. When we are, when we we consider that God has made us one family in Christ, the the kind of the 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 uh, implications really of the gospel are that we need to we need to maybe organize organize to meet these needs. That's why he said, "Let a widow be enrolled." In verse nine, so there was this something was going on here. They were making a list and checking it twice. Who are these widows who needed to be helped? Let's make sure we get them on the rolls 
Let's make sure we have a list. Let's keep this organized. We don't want anyone to slip through the cracks. Slipping through the cracks was something that happened in the early church, didn't it? Remember back in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. The, uh, there was a little disagreement. A dispute arose because some of the widows weren't getting served. There were a whole lot of widows that were like, well, we kind of, we speak the same language. We dress the same way. Um, we, uh, we come from the same kind of culture, same kind of background. So we, we're going to be very attentive to your needs. But there was another group of widows who were being ignored. And their needs weren't being met. And so they organized and they said, what we really need now is to find some deacons. And that's what they did. They established the deacons to make sure that the needs were getting met. So they organized it. They, they created a system in which they could meet the need of the people in the church. You know, this, um, this idea that we organize to meet needs, that we, we look with others on compassion, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke 14. In Luke 14, you can see it up there or in your notes. But when you give a feast, he said, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. Can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Those who have been made right with Christ will be repaid for all the things that they've done. I love that. Um, I'm reminded, um, that that really to me illustrates um, what I've seen demonstrated by my family for many years. For ever since I can remember, ever since I was a little child, I remember people coming into our home. Um, I remember, uh, boy, back in the day, a, a young teenage girl staying with us for, I don't know, it seemed like maybe weeks. Um, and she was having, she, was, she had a troubled family. And my parents said, come, you can stay with us. We'll find you a bed. We'll find you a little corner of the house. We'll move out some things out of a room. And you can stay with us. Um, they did that over and over and over again. And you'll still find that every Sunday at my, I look at Stephen because he's there with, in my parents' church right now. Um, every Sunday, somebody who cannot repay them is in their home being hosted, being, being shown hospitality. They, are, they have a feast and they invite the people that can't repay them. They're looking out for, in, in this section, it's, it's the widows that Paul's concerned with because that was obviously a concern in that particular church. But who else might it be? Who else? The, the widows can't repay us. They don't have any income. They're not making any money. They're not, they're not going to be able to say, well, I'll just turn around and have you, you all over to my house and we'll do... No. No, they can't repay. But who is it that we need to look with compassion on? Who is it that we need to organize our efforts to serve and to bless? So, to be a gospel family, we treat each other like family. We meet real need. Meet real need. We also take care of our own. We take care of our own. Um, th- look what he says to the children and the grandchildren. Verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show 
godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Um, you know, this, isn't, this wasn't new for Paul. It wasn't new for Timothy. It wasn't new for the church, the early church. Because all they had to go back to is back to Exodus chapter 19. And they would find a, a small little verse that we, we refer to as the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And it will go well with you in the land that you will inherit. That you will possess. Honor your father and mother. Well, are there children or grandchildren in that person's life? Are they stepping up? If they claim to be in Christ, are they stepping up to help? Are they stepping up to meet those needs in their family? See, the gospel obligates us, really, obligates us to provide for our family. It obligates us to provide for our families. I, boy, I was thinking about this. Um, because this is difficult to do. It really is. What happens when you have an, an old elderly parent who needs a lot of care, who needs a lot of help? What if you don't have the room in your home for that? What if you don't have space? What if you are, are committed to, a, to a, a career that you just can't, you can't just, you know, quit all your work and then just spend all your full time with that one parent? Um, my, my family went through that. My family went through that a few years ago when my grandmother um, came up, moved up um, permanently from Colorado and uh, came to Ellensburg and for several years lived with my parents. And they, they, they joyfully <laughs> served her and tried to meet her need. But it got to a point where it wasn't safe for her to be there. It wasn't. Um, they couldn't give her the kind of medical care that she needed. And the only, the best solution was to find her a, a home, a retirement home that she could live in and get the kind of care that she really needed. It was a tough decision. It was a tough decision because when you look at, but if anyone does not provide for his relative, especially for members of his household, he, is, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And you start to think, well, Where's that point at which we've denied the faith and we're worse than an unbeliever? I think my parents did the right thing because it was the best thing for, for my grandmother. And, uh, and that new retirement home really became her home. And it became her family. And she loved it there. It, she loved it so much that when she was preparing to die and she had made her last hospital visit, she said, I don't want to... I don't want to be here in the hospital, you know. Um, you, there's a, you've got to do not resuscitate. I, I want to go back to my room in my home, her new home at the retirement home, and I want to sit in my chair and I want to die in my chair. And that's exactly what she did about a, oh, a week later. And um, it was a beautiful thing to see that, that she was in a place that she loved and that she was surrounded by people that were her friends and her family was there. And the, and the family and the church um, were there with her around the clock, 24 hours a day. They organized, they actually organized to meet the need. And they had somebody with her 24 hours a day so that the moment she passed away, the call was made, hey, uh, Eva, Grandma Eva passed away. She went to be with the Lord. They took care of her 
They took care of their own. They took care of their own. It's not going to be easy. And, and in our culture, we, might, we have a lot of creative ways to do that. But the last thing we should do is go, well, that's what, you know, uh, the, the social security system is for. That's what the Medicaid system is for, Medicare system is for. That's what the old homes are for. Boom. Good to go. We're good to go. There's a responsibility we have, an obligation through the gospel to provide for our families, physically, spiritually. I put some references up there. You know, uh, Paul, Paul told Timothy that, that an elder or a, an overseer, he's got to manage his own household well, uh, making sure that his, his children are submissive. He cares for his children. And then in return, what happens is the children and grandchildren Take care of them. That's what he says here. They, they, re, they show, they make a return. <laughs> make some return to their parents. Verse 4. The gospel confronts our self-serving interests. See, what we want is, I want my life to be good. I want my life to be safe. I want my life to be rich and full of all of the good things that I want to do. I, I, I. The gospel says, uh, no, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, that's really, that's the challenge of the gospel. That we look not to our own interests. That we, we're looking out for other people. I, boy, I tell that to my girls all the time, don't I, Olivia? Yeah. Look out for other people's interests sometimes. You know, you're not the only person here. The world does not revolve around you. We tell that to our kids. Do we tell that to ourselves? Do we look at ourselves in the mirror every once in a while and say, you, Michael, the world does not revolve around you. We don't, usually. We don't usually say that. But we ought to. It's not about our own interests. It's about others. We are a family and we take care of our own. We treat each other like family. We meet real needs. We take care of our own. And finally, we take responsibility for ourselves. Or put it this way, take responsibility for yourself. <laughs> the gospel requires us to work hard. That goes all the way back to the creation mandate in Genesis 2 when God put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. To work hard and to keep it, protect it, guide it, um, enrich it, cultivate it, right? Cultivate it. Look what, look what, look what um, Paul says specifically. He says, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Verse 6. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. There are, were, there are these, there were, there were these women in the church at the time, who thought, well, I'm a widow, I need to be taken care of, so let's do this. And was completely self-indulgent. Um, she was receiving help, maybe, from the church. And she, had all, she, she could meet all of her own needs. And she was living in such a way as to kind of flaunt the grace of God and, and flaunt her indulgence. And, she, and he says that she's dead even while she lives. 
that there's that even while she's living her life, there's deadness in her. There's deadness there. Look what else he says. Um, he goes on and he talks about um, the younger widow. This is an interesting passage. He says in verse 11, refuse to enroll younger widows. And then he says that their passions are going to draw them away from Christ. They'll desire when they desire to marry. Um, well, what's wrong with a young widow getting remarried, right? Most of us would go, well, that doesn't seem, you know, wouldn't a good gospel demonstration be to look out for the widows and, and for a young single man to say, you know what, I'm going to marry that widow. I'm going to care for her. I'm going to love her. I'm going to adopt her children. That would be an, that's an amazing gospel um, example and gospel witness. What is he trying to say here? That it's wrong for young widows to desire to marry? Well, verse 12 says, And so they incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. And so, I think what Paul's trying to say is not that they've abandoned the Christianity, but they've adva- they put their, they had made a commitment that, okay, um, I, I'm a young widow, and I don't have any other means of, of supporting myself um, in this culture, and so... I want to go ahead and get enrolled too. But they get enrolled and they receive that help and the church is caring for them and meeting their needs. And then she's like, but I really want to get married. So I think I'll go ahead and get married. But yet I'm still on this role. I'm still receiving this support. I'm still receiving this help. And Paul's saying, uh, no, if you're able, to, if you're able to, to take care of yourself, don't sign up for this. Don't receive that support. That's, that's a... That's a, you'll be condemned for that because you're abandoning that faith, that trust that you put in the church to be, to receive that help. So instead, what you ought to do is work hard. That's what he says. So, so here's what I recommend that they do because see, they're gonna, they're gonna get all that support and then they're just gonna be idle. They're not raising children. These, um, by the way, these younger widows, I'm, I'm confident that these are younger widows that don't have children. They don't have, they didn't have children yet. They got married. Their man went off to war and he died in the war. Or died of some plague or something horrible happened. And now they're, they're left all alone. They don't have any children to help them, but they're young. They could get remarried. They could have children. They could, they could, what is this? Manage their household. They could do all of those things. So Paul says, let them do it. You know, let them go ahead and get married because otherwise, they're going to be self-sufficient, self-indulgent. They're going to go about the idlers because they're not raising a family. They're not, being, they're not working and producing and cultivating life and nurturing. So they're going to, they're going to be in a bad way. They're going to incur condemnation. Um, they're going to give the adversary an occasion to slander. Um, they're going to stray after Satan. All of those phrases are kind of mounting up going, okay, so let these younger widows get married. Let them get married and have children. Raise their families. Manage their households. Let them do that. Okay? Let them work hard. Let them cultivate. Don't stop them when they're young. Give them an opportunity to do that now. Encourage them to do that. Don't let them become self... Um, or don't let them become self-indulgent. Uh, don't let them become um, just living off of other people's means when they have the ability to take responsibility for themselves. The gospel also requires that those with means help others. 
So that's part of taking responsibility. If we have means to help other people, we ought to do it. If there's a, if there's a widow in his, in, at his time who was wealthy, there's no reason why she would be dependent on other people. She should be given to others. She should be helping others. Because she has means to do that. Um, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, um, 14 and 15. And it, that's kind of a long, that's a long parable. So I didn't reference the whole thing. But what he says there is he, he introduces this parable of, of the talent. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And he gave one five talents, another two, and another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he expected them to do something with it. He expected them to use those means to cultivate, to work, and to help other people. Back in, or later on in, in this, um, this letter that we're looking at today, uh, we'll, we'll look at this passage in a few weeks, um, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Uh, part of the gospel message says, what do you have? What has God granted you? What good gifts has he given you? Are you taking responsibility for yourself and those gifts that you have, and those means that you have, and are you blessing other people with them? To say, as for the rich in this present age, is about practically to look around the room and say, well, guess what? We all have homes to live in. We all have incomes. We all drive cars. Well, my daughter's learning how to drive a car. Um, but we all have means in our culture. Very few of us who are gathered this morning, uh, if any, are saying, I don't have means. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bill next week. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table tomorrow night. Very few of us are like that, right? And if, and if we were, got to that point, it's probably because we bought too many toys. That's usually what happens. As for the rich in this present world, which I would argue is every one of us here today, we have, we have some wealth at our disposal, some means to meet our own needs and to meet other people's needs. That's what the gospel asks us of us. Um, Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such a person, now are such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. There was another church at the time where that was just really messed up. And they were taking advantage of the body. They were taking advantage of the rest of the family and they're saying, well, Jesus is coming back soon anyway, so what's the point of working? What's the point of cultivating? What's the point of nurturing? Jesus may come back anytime. And boy, that would be wonderful if he came back this very day. That would be great. Although I do have some plans I'd like to accomplish, but there are also some deadlines I've got that I'd rather not have to keep. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back and said, enough of that, enough of that, all right? I'm here, you're with me, that's all that matters. But in the meantime, we work and we cultivate 
We treat each other like family. That's what it means. Let the gospel so permeate our lives that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Not just so that we could have eternal life in the, in the here and after, which he, he, will gi- he will give us and he will grant us, but to transform us now on earth where we are. Transform us into a family that is serving other people, that is meeting needs. Said gospel, the gospel transforms us from a variety, a variety or diversity of self-serving family units into one integrated family of God. That's what we are. That's what the gospel transforms us into. And that family meets real needs and encourages encourages each other in personal responsibility. When when Paul said, uh, "So encourage him as you would a father." That may mean, hey, look, you need to, you need to get out there. You, you need to stop depending on other people. You know, work with your hands. Get busy. It may mean, hey, I need to confront you about a sin in your life. It may mean to say, oh, look, there's some things that you're, you're talking about and you're believing that I'm just not so sure about. Maybe you ought to get that fixed up. Let's, let's go to God's word and, and see what he has to say. Let's get some correction from God's word. Right belief, right behavior. That's what Paul's talking about in this letter. How are we going to walk out of here then with the gospel and live out what it means to be a family? That's our challenge. That's what I'm going to ask you all to consider right now as we pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you have made us a family. God. You have called us to be your own, adopted us into your family, Lord. Set us, set us with Jesus. He's the firstborn among many brothers, and we are those brothers and sisters, those siblings, God. Father, I, 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 I love you. Uh, God, I'm so grateful for what you have done in our lives. And Lord, now I ask that as we respond to you and respond, to your message, that God, you will, you will do the work. You will work in our hearts. You will transform our lives to make us the kind of family, kind of church that you desire us to be. I pray that in Jesus' name. Um, we're going to go into a time of response. Move this over. Um, and um, our our response today is going to be twofold. Um, number one. Um, God may be speaking to you about a, a whole number of things. Uh, maybe about um, maybe about how you are interacting with this particular body. You know what? How are you the family here? You know, maybe God is speaking to you about that. Um, maybe God has has revealed to you there are some needs I know of that need to come to light. Maybe they need to be shared with the family, or maybe they they just need to be met personally. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly how God wants you to respond, but I know he wants you to. So there's that part of the response. So I'm going to invite you to, to come forward if you want to pray with me. Um, but we're also going to, as, as Stephen comes up, he's going to go ahead and get ready with the music. Um, we're also going to celebrate today too. Um, it's the first of the month, and I thought it would be a good time to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate communion um, together. And so, we are going to do that as well. 
And, um, and, and just very briefly, let me, let me touch on why we, why we do this, why we celebrate together. Um, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and we have bread and we have a cup here. Um, he took bread and, and he, he broke it. And he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Um, Why does Paul say that? Um, This bread and this cup was a family meal. It represents that Jesus is, Jesus died, he, his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out for us, and because of that, we are in Christ. When we come to him in repentance and forgiveness, we are in Christ. And then as, as, a, as a Baptist congregation, um, we, we witnessed just a month ago, my, my daughter and, uh, and, and Javen, they were both baptized into Christ, into God's family. And then they were invited to come, come share communion, come to the Lord's table and receive. So we want to make sure that, um, and there's no, there's no shame in not partaking. There's no, um, there's no pressure to partake or not to. But we want to just encourage you, consider where you stand with God. Where are you with the Lord Jesus? If you need to respond to him and receive salvation, now is the time to do that. Consider where you are at with Christ and then come and partake of the bread and the wine and receive it with joy and receive it with thanksgiving considering what God has done for us in Christ. Okay? So let's, let's go ahead and sing. Stephen, share, share with us a song. And I want you to stand as he begins to play and, and sing. You sing along and then come forward and respond and partake as uh, you see fit. the 
Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed in white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow Stephen, for singing. Thank you. Uh, what a beautiful opportunity. It is so wonderful to come and to share this meal, to remember what Christ has done for us. Um, this meal here, picture of the gospel. Picture of the gospel. And when we take it, we are saying we are in Christ. You know, and we are receiving grace from God. It's such a wonderful, wonderful table. Wonderful picture. Um, I want to thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. Thank you for being attentive. Um, and uh, remember some of the things that are upcoming. Remember our missional communities are gathering. We have two meeting tonight. And, um, and uh, we have one new one next week. Yes. And actually, the, we're going to make a slight t- uh, adjustment to the time on that. It's going to be 1.30 p.m., 1.30 in the afternoon. So that'll be kind of unique, an afternoon. Missional community at the Canazaros, so we're excited for that. We're going to be praying for them, and we'll be we'll be um, praying for them especially next next Sunday um, as they launch out on that. So remember those things, and remember if, if the the Parents Day Away event that's that's taking place, we'd love for you to be part of that. We these guys are are laughing at me because there's probably some kind of inside joke there with that. I don't know, but um. Yeah, I'm just going to let that go. Uh, but um, remember that that's happening too. If you can help out with that, participate. We would love to. Uh, we'd love to have you help with that. Um, let's go ahead and go with a, a prayer.
And hey, Bill, could you uh, lead us in prayer as we dismiss? Father, family.